1 Corinthians 12, 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as, as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we, we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our, more, which our more presentable parts do not require. For God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there are, may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you as we gather here this morning. Um, just open our hearts uh, as Pastor brings your word to us. Lord, um, help us to have uh, hearts to serve you. And uh, as, after the message, as we go about the ministry fair through the tables, Lord, just open the hearts of everyone here to, um, to see how they can better serve and better lift you up and uh, use the gifts that you've given them in their lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I want us to think this morning a little bit about what does it mean to be a healthy church? Have you thought about that before or wondered about that before? What does it mean to be a healthy church? And certainly, uh, there's much that we could say about that or, or, or think about that. Uh, many answers could be given. You could talk about biblical evangelism, right? That a, a healthy church is fervent. Uh, in sharing the gospel with the lost, sharing the gospel with whoever we can, whenever we can, wherever we can. Uh, but it's not just about decisions for Christ. A healthy church would also be about uh, biblical discipleship, uh, helping newborn believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to grow and walk and change and become more like Jesus Christ and be obedient uh, to all that he has commanded, as we read in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. 
Certainly a, a healthy church would also emphasize biblical membership, a community or, or family of brothers and sisters in Christ who link arms together uh, to serve and to glorify, to be equipped and empowered uh, to serve one another. Uh, it would include biblical leadership, a leadership that's not uh, tyrants, uh, but leadership uh, that is shepherding, as the scriptures call, and also leadership that is developing and deploying uh, new leaders. Uh, a healthy church would include biblical teaching and preaching. It would include biblical ordinances of believers' baptism and also of the Lord's Supper. It would include biblical worship, gathering together like we, like we are this morning to worship and to praise Him and exalt Him uh, with our voices and our instruments. It would include biblical prayer. Healthy Church is a praying church. Uh, read, read, the, read the book of Acts, right? All through the book of Acts, what are God's people doing? They're praying and praying and praying. In fact, as, as you see the gospel move forward and turn the world upside down through the book of Acts, it always, it's always marked by and preceded by prayer. A healthy church is also uh, has biblical giving, uh, generous sacrificial giving uh, to the needs of others and to propel forth God's cause. A healthy church also has a biblical mission of disciples who are making disciples who make disciples. We're seeking to be obedient to, again, the Great Commission in Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and Luke 24 and Mark 16 and John 20. Uh, a biblical church, a healthy church, is on mission for God. It's focused on His mission. I think all those things are, are great answers. In fact, uh, I think that'd be a pretty good sermon series to hit through every single one of those. That may or may not happen in the future, who knows? Uh, but those are, those are good things to think about. What, what makes a church healthy? And those are certainly core components. But for the sake of simplicity uh, this morning, the answer to that question, we're going to try and get at it from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In a nutshell, the idea this morning is a church is healthy when every member is functioning the way God has designed them to function. That's, that's the, the gist of, of the message this morning. What makes a church healthy? A church is healthy when every individual member of it is functioning the way that God has designed them to function. And I'll, I'll elaborate more on what that means as, as we unfold 1 Corinthians 12, but just, just, just think about this with me for a minute. If, if every member of Orangeville Baptist Church, or whatever church, but for us in particular, if every member of Orangeville Baptist Church is functioning the way that God has called us to function, then those eight or nine or ten things that I just mentioned, those things fall into place and start happening, right? Does that make sense? If a, if a healthy church is, is all those things and probably more than that list I opened up with, then if every member here of Orangeville Baptist Church is, is involved in functioning the way that God has called them to function, then those things will happen. Those things will fall into place. Thus, I, I believe the one main characteristic of a healthy church is, again, every member functioning the way how God has designed them to function. And think of a congregation where that's happening. Think of a congregation where every member is functioning the way God has designed them to function. That congregation will be a powerful force, an unstoppable force in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. A congregation where every member is functioning the way how God would have them to function, that's a church that's going to be making a difference that cannot be ignored. 
And Orangeville Baptist Church has been in existence since 1858. And we rejoice in that, in God's faithfulness to this church and glorifying his name through it and seeking to be a beacon of gospel hope and help uh, to this community. Uh, but I, I believe that the full potential of this church is yet to be unlocked. We're yet to reach the full potential of this church. And the way we reach the full potential of this church is every member functioning the way how the Lord has designed us to function. So we're going to unpack that this morning and, and just think about that. And the first point this morning is if you're going to be a member functioning the way how God has called you to function, designed you to function, if we're going to be a church that's biblically healthy, then the point number one is passionate. And I'll just ask this question. Do you think someone who is passionate about Jesus should also be passionate about what Jesus is passionate about? Does that make sense? If, if you're passionate about Jesus, then shouldn't you be passionate about what he is passionate about? And I think you can tell just from reading or hearing the scriptures read this morning in 1 Corinthians 12 that Jesus is passionate about the church. He is passionate about the church, and not just the idea of church or church in the abstract, but, but think about this. Acts 20:28 20, says that God purchased the church with the blood of his son. Acts, or Ephesians chapter 5 says that the church is the bride of Christ. Or remember with me in, in, in Acts chapter 9 where Saul has been persecuting the church and, and Jesus in a theophanic vision comes to Saul and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But Saul's never met the person of Jesus Christ. What is, what is Jesus talking about when he says that to Saul? He's talking about his body, the church. The church is uh, that which Jesus is passionate for. In, in Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will build my church. He will build the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. You can look through Scripture, and God doesn't promise that anywhere else, to anything else, but he does promise to the church that he will build his church, and nothing will prevail against her. If you want to pour your life into something, pour your life into the church which Jesus has said, nothing will prevail against it. It will win. And the founder of the church has conquered sin and Satan and death. So Jesus cherishes the church. Jesus is the head of the church. And as our text unpacks, Jesus says the church is his body. So Jesus, again, is passionate about the church. And I just want to ask you, are, are you passionate about the church? Do you love the church? And I'll just say it this way, that if you love Jesus, you will love his church. Those two things go together. And I know every church has its problems. Every church is, is far from perfect. We're looking at 1 Corinthians 12. You want to talk about a church that's far from, from, from perfect? Think about the church in Corinth, right? I don't know if any church has had as many problems as that church had. Uh, that, that church was, was struggling with division over spiritual gifts. They were arguing over spiritual gifts, and some thought they were more important because they had this gift, and others were less important because they didn't have that gift. And they were divided over leadership, and they had members within their midst who were involved in sexual immorality, and they were suing each other, bringing lawsuits against each other. They were confused about the resurrection. 
They were abusing the Lord's Supper, right? It, the church of Corinth was struggling immensely. It's far from perfect. And yet, you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, and we see what Paul writes about this church. In 1 Corinthians 1, 2, he opens by saying, to the church of God. And he goes on to say, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. To those called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I think that's pretty incredible. The church of Corinth is far from perfect. The church in Corinth is struggling immensely. And yet, in spite of all of that, the scriptures say the church of God. It was the church of God filled with his saints. So yes, church can be messy. And I would just argue this morning that that is actually a great reason to love and be passionate about the church. It's not a reason to avoid the church or ignore the church or questions about the church. I, I would argue this morning that the fact that the church is messy is a great reason to love the church and be passionate about the church. I say that because the church isn't a place for those who have it all together. The church is a refuge or a hospital for people who are struggling with maybe addiction to pornography or, or addiction to drugs or addiction to alcohol. The, the church is a refuge or a hospital for those struggling with bitterness, greed, anger, or what have you. The, the, the church is to be a place of help and hope. So the church is a messy place because the church is people. And you know what? Jesus died for sinful, messy, broken people. Jesus died to establish the church. He gave his life for the church. He shed his blood for the church to redeem her, to sanctify her. He is the head of the church, and he calls the church his body, and thus he's passionate about the church. And if you love Jesus, you should be passionate about the church. It breaks my heart when I hear people talk bad about the church. I don't know if we ever really quite think that through, how much that grieves the Lord Jesus Christ also, because again, the church is his bride. His bride for whom he shed his blood. How would you react if, if someone were to say to you, hey, I, I love hanging out with you, but, but your wife, man, she's got problems. Keep her home. <laughs> I hang out with you all you want, but, but, but your wife, not her. How would you take that as a husband? It really does surprise me how much we, we badmouth Jesus' bride and body. Again, how would you react if people talked badly about your spouse all the time? The church is his bride. The church is his body. If we're going to function the way that, that God has designed us to function, then this is where it starts, a deep immovable, unshakable love and passion uh, for the local church. Functioning the way that God has designed us begins with saying, I love the church. No exceptions, no qualifications. I love the church for whom Christ died. It may not have my style of music or worship or preaching. The people might not be like me or whatever, but it's the body of Christ it's the body of Christ, so I, I choose to be plugged in because I love Jesus. I refuse to cut myself off 
from the local church and be a severed finger or whatever. Sure, it might be nice. The upside of being a severed finger is you don't have to bother with all the other fingers. But what are you going to do? You're a severed finger. <laughs> so again, if you're going to function the way that God has designed you to function, it starts right here with a passion for the church. Secondly, a church that's going to function the way the Lord would have it to function must be unified. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. And a great cross-reference to that is Romans 12, verses 4 and 5, where Paul writes, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. So I hope you notice through Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 that emphasis on one, oneness, the oneness of the church, the, the unity of the church. And according to verse 12, this unity, or I'm sorry, verse 13, this unity is the work of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, all were made to drink of one Spirit. So praise God for that truth, because the scriptures teach that apart from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not one with the Lord, we are not one with his people, we are actually the opposite, we're enmity with him, we're separated from him, rightly under his wrath and his justice, but because of the work of the Spirit drawing us to his Son, because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sin, that we might be reconciled to God and to one another, because of the, the work of Jesus and the work of the Spirit, we've been baptized spiritually into one body, drawn together. If you're a Christian, you've been baptized by the Spirit into a relationship with Christ, yes, but also into the body of Christ. I think we often miss that part. You and I are, are not merely baptized into Christ, you're baptized into his body. So verse 13 says, in one, for in one spirit we were all baptized, what? Into one body. This is why there's no such thing as solo Christianity. There's no such thing as going it on your own. You were not merely baptized into a personal relationship with Christ, the spiritual baptism, which happens the moment you believe. You were baptized into the body of Christ, into relationship with all of his followers. And thus, things that used to divide us, like verse 13 says, Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, those things no longer divide us. Uh, social economic things, social status, ethnicity, those things, they no longer matter. By, by the work of the Spirit, all who trust in Christ are one. And so things like the color of your skin or your economic position or your, again, your social status or your family of origin, who cares about any of that? We're united by the spirits. We're one by the spirits. 
And this is really important truth when it comes to functioning as a healthy church. We are one. We are a people who share the same life, who belong to the same Lord. We're indwelt by the same Spirit. We're given gifts by that same Spirit. We're part of the one church. We are intended to work together for His praise and for His glory. So if we're going to function the way God has designed us to function, it begins with a passion for his church. It works into this unity that is ours because of what the Spirit has wrought, baptizing us into the body of Christ. And also the third one this morning is diversity. The third, third way that we function, the way how God has designed us is we are diverse. We find this looking at verse 14 through 20. Verse 14 says, For the body... That one body, that united body, does not consist of one member, but of many. So as we hear quite often, unity does not mean what? Uniformity, right? Unity does not mean uniformity, where everyone looks alike, and dresses alike, and talks alike, and eats the same food, and on and on that list can go. We are united because we have the same spirit and the same passion for the Lord Jesus Christ who bought us and redeemed us. This unity amongst diversity is reflected in a couple ways in our text. It's, it's reflected in, the, in God himself. Look at, look at verses 4 through 6. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says, There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Did you catch the Trinity there? That's one of the key texts for the teaching of the Trinity in the Scriptures, that there's one God with three persons. And within that one Godhood, uh, there's uh, different roles that they all take. So, so God is one, yet he is diverse. There's not uniformity in his, in his unity. So we, we see this, this diversity within the Godhood himself, but we, of course, see this uh, diversity within the body. Verse 15 says, 1 Corinthians 12, If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So the body, obviously, the physical body, uh, though it has many members, hands, feet, eyes, legs, ears, noses, right, those, all those things, uh, but there's diversity within that unity, within that body. Imagine how awful and boring church would be if we all looked the same and talked the same and Whatever else. Imagine how, again, how awful church would be. Imagine if I, if I went over to that piano and I just stood there and I kept clunking the same key over and over and over and over and over and over and over. How long would it take before you would plead with me, Pastor Andrew, please stop pushing or clunking that key, right? It would be awful. It would not be conducive to, to much of anything other than wanting to run out of here and scream, right? Like this, this unity amongst diversity is, is this crucial truth. 
Now imagine, you really have to imagine with this, that I go over to the piano and I, I play a number of keys together. You can tell how bad I am with this. And it's a chord, right? And I play, and I play a chord that's, that's pleasing uh, to your ears. You say, that sounds good. And that's unity amongst diversity. The beauty of it. And this kind of truth guards us from belittling ourselves or, or, or making small of ourselves. Maybe, maybe you've, you've thought to yourself before that, man, I, I love to come to church, but I just don't feel like there's anything I can do. If you ever thought that or, or, or felt that way, then these verses, especially verses 15 and 16, are written for you. Right? If, you're, if you're here this morning and, and you feel useless or, or unimportant or, or less significant, then, then these verses are written uh, to guard us from belittling ourselves. Because again, this, it says, if the foot should say, well, I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Do, do you hear how the hand and, and the the ear, or I'm sorry, the foot and the ear are belittling themselves? How, how, they're, how they're saying, well, well, I'm not this, I'm not that, I, I'm not really part of the body. They're, they're saying I'm useless or I'm less significant, I'm not as important as that. And, but notice what scriptures say, it says, well, that doesn't make you any less a part of the body. There's no such thing as being second rate or unimportant. There's no such thing as saying I have nothing to offer. Sometimes we will say things like, I'm just, I'm just a Sunday school teacher, or I just set up the chairs, or I just get the coffee ready, or I just get here early and I turn the lights on, or I just do this, or, or I just do that. I, I think what we're seeing from our text is there is no just in the body. Amen? Amen? Look at verses 16 and 17, if, or if, where it says... If, if the ear, or verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell, right? Like Paul's being comical there. He's giving you a, a word picture of this, this, this ridiculous idea of just a, a big giant eyeball, right? You couldn't hear anything. You can't get around town. You know, if it gets dirt in its eye, what's it going to do? Uh, maybe as an eyeball, I can see all these ways that the help is needed, but I can't do anything about it, right? It's just an eyeball. So the point there, how silly it is to think of yourself that you are insignificant. Please hear this this morning. You are vital, vital to the effectiveness of this church. If you don't believe me, look at verse 18. Verse 18 says, as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, in case there's someone here who wants to say, well, maybe it did for them, but not for me, each one of them as he chose. Are you hearing that truth? You have been sovereignly placed in the body of Christ with particular gifts and talents and personalities for the effectiveness of the church so that it can function the way it's been designed to function. That's true of every one of us. It's an amazing truth. It comes out in verses 4 through 6 that we just read earlier where it talks about varieties of gifts with the same spirit, varieties of service, the same Lord, verse 6, varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. 
So whether you're a hand or a foot or an eye or a nose or an ear or whatever, whatever it is you are this morning, it's because God assigned that to you. He designed you that way and he placed you in this body purposely, specifically in his wisdom for the effectiveness of this church to burn bright and hot for him. He didn't skip you. Look at verse 11. All these, because it just gave a list of, of spiritual gifts in, in verses 8 through 10, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to who? Each one individually as he wills. So when it comes to spiritual gifts, no one is left out. There, there's not the elite few who get it. Everyone gets a gift. There's no VIP treatment. God, again, sovereignly, graciously equips every member of the body, every believer with a spiritual gift. Why? Look at verse 7. Why did God do this? Why did he design the church this way? Verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the what? The common good for the strengthening, the encouraging of God's church. In fact, if you're looking for a definition of spiritual gifts, you're wondering what, what in the world are spiritual gifts, I think a really simple definition of a spiritual gift is this. It's a God-given gift or a God-given ability to serve the church effectively. That's what a spiritual gift is. It's a God-given gift or God-given ability to serve the church effectively. Everyone here this morning who's trusting in Christ has one. Don't belittle yourself. Don't belittle your usefulness. You're not here by accident. God has gifted you and equipped you uniquely for the health and benefit of this local body of believers. You are vital, vital to the well-being of the whole. This is what it means to be functioning as God has designed you, serving the church with your spiritual gifts, this, this unity and diversity. So I want to ask you this morning, Christian, do you know your spiritual gift or giftings? If you know them, are you using them? Are you seeking uh, honestly to find out your gifts and profiting others with them? Are you doing the work of the ministry? Again, think about this. All the gifts that we as a church here at Orangeville Baptist Church, all the gifts that we need to serve effectively, God has given to this church. It's astounding to think about, isn't it? God may give us more gifts in the future. In fact, we should be open to the distinct possibility that God may bring others into our church family who are different because we need them. But all we need to function today, right now, to be an effective church uh, for his praise and for his glory is here, right now, by his sovereign wisdom and his grace. What does that mean? That means if we're going to function and be a healthy church, if we're going to minister effectively, it means that we can. It means that we can do that because God has given them to us. We must put our spiritual gifts to work. When we don't put our spiritual gifts to work, at least two things happen. One, there, man, there's a lot of wasted potential, right? 
If God's given each of us here a gift and we're not all plugging in with that gift and using it to edify and build his church, then there is a lot of wasted potential. That's more of an ouch than an amen, but it's the truth, isn't it? The flip side of that is if, if the Lord has gifted his church in a particular way and not everyone is plugged in and using their gift, what that means is some body parts are overworked, Right? because there's got to be compensation uh, to get the work done. And maybe some body parts are not just overworked, they're being damaged, because they're trying to carry more weight than God's designed for them to carry. You see what happens when, when we're not all plugging in, as the Lord would have us to plug in. So please hear again this morning, I know I've said it multiple times, I just want to say it again, God has deliberately shaped and formed you to serve him and to serve his people. God never wastes anything. He would not give you the abilities, the interests, the talents, the gifts, the personality that he's given you unless he intended for you to use them for his glory and for his church. So please don't belittle yourself. Please don't think I have nothing to offer. You do. Rejoice in your God-given gifts and use it, spend it to the glory of his name and the good of his church. Which leads to the fourth uh, aspect or facet of a healthy church, that's interdependence. Interdependence. We're passionate about the church, we're unified by the spirits, we're diversely gifted, but we are interdependent. Uh, we pick that up in verse 21. And I would just say, if, if there's no place for feeling useless at Orange Hill Baptist Church, there's also, on the flip side of that, no place for being proud. No place for belittling others. It's bad enough that people belittle themselves, but there's emphatically no place for belittling others and their roles and their gifts that God has given them. Look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are what? What's that say in verse 22? Indispensable. That's a strong word, huh? Verse 23, and those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Here's God's sovereignty and grace and wisdom again. Verse 24, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that members may have the same care for one another. So listen, if, if you're belittling yourself and your gifts and your usefulness, or if you're kind of stuck on yourself and proud and, and belittling others, you are mocking the wisdom of God. It's an affront to God. But I think, I hope what you're hearing from these verses is the desperate need we have for each other. We cannot go it alone. We cannot function with, with each other. I came across a, a, a neat illustration that, that brought this out. It, it goes something like this, that one day the, the members of the body uh, decided that, you know what, the stomach gets all the food. 
you know, the hands, the, the mouth, the teeth, the tongue, even the legs, you know, if we have to walk to get the food, the, all the other members of the body are doing all this work, but all the food goes to the stomach. That just didn't quite seem fair to them, or right to them. They thought the stomach should put in its fair share of work. And so that's what they did. And uh, for a day or two, the hands, they refused to, to take the food, and the mouth refused to receive the food, and the teeth had no work to do. But uh, I think you know what happened after a day or two. After a day or two, the, the hands and the feet and the mouth and, and the, the legs uh, found out that they could hardly move. Suddenly they had no energy. The mouth was all parched and, and dry. The eggs could, could barely support the body and just needed lots of rest. And they found that even the belly in its dull, quiet way was, was doing the necessary work for the whole body to function together. Well, I think that's a neat illustration just to show how dependent we are upon one another. We are interdependent. We need each other. God has intertwined us in such a way, designed us in such a way that we cannot function effectively apart from one another. So again, no one is here this morning by accident. No one here this morning is useless. What pride, what, what arrogance, what foolishness to think that we don't need one another. Again, what, what good is a finger without a hand? Right? What, what good is a leg without a foot? I mean, you, you can just keep going with that illustration, right? We are interdependent. We need each other. We need everyone confident in God's goodness, confident in God's wisdom, in designing the body the way he has chosen to design the body. Everyone using their gifts, everyone depending upon one another, every member essential. As it says in verses 25 and 26, every member so interconnected that if one member suffers, what happens to the rest of us? We're all suffering. And if one member is rejoicing, what happens to the rest of us? We're rejoicing. That's how interconnected we should be. If we're going to be an effective church, a healthy church, functioning the way God has designed, there needs to be that understanding and that level of connectedness and that level of interdependence. It's remarkable to think about, isn't it? So let me give you just, just a few steps moving forward from here in, in, in thinking about these things. Where do we go from here? What do we do from here? Well, step number one is this. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've spoken a lot this morning about the amazing gifts of the Spirit. But there's a gift far greater than that. And that is the gift of salvation. That is the gift of, though we were sinners, rightly under God's holy, righteous wrath, rebelled against Him, separated from Him because of our sin. That God in His love sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sin. And three days later, rose from the dead, victorious over sin and Satan and death. 
It's one thing to squander a spiritual gift. It's a whole nother thing, and I pray that no one here this morning will squander the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, shed to redeem you, shed to purchase you, shed that you might have forgiveness of sins, shed that you might have eternal life with him forever. This is where it all begins. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? Do you have that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? If not, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? You can be saved right now. You can know his grace. You can know his love. You can know his forgiveness. No matter your, the greatness of your sin, you can know it right now by placing your faith and trust in him. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right now you can know him. Believe upon him. Confess your sin to him. Turn from your sin. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and he will redeem you. He will save you and he will give you his spirit. He'll baptize you in his spirit. He'll unite you to his body and empower you to glorify him and to serve others. That's why you were created. That's the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it all starts. From there, I would just encourage you, secondly, to begin growing and, and building relationships. Meet and, and get to know people. Come to church early and stay late. Gab, hang out, open up. Uh, the church is about people. The church is the family of God. Look around you and see your brothers and sisters in Christ your family, to whom Scripture says you're interconnected and to whom Scripture says God has designed you and placed you here particularly. Don't say, well, no one ever talks to me. How about you get up and talk to them? Take initiative. Get up and talk with others. Get to know others. Encourage others. Pray with others. Initiate involvement in the lives of others. Relationships don't just happen. Fellowship doesn't just happen. It needs to be cultivated. Share your life with others. This is in part why we have Coffee and Connect. Most Sundays. <laughs> because we want people to stay and gab and talk, not just about how good or bad the Coffee and Connect might be, whatever the snacks were that day, <laughs> like the day when I announced that there's gonna be donuts and you guys go back there and there's nothing back there whatsoever, right? <laughs> Coffee and Connect isn't about the food, right? But if that can be used to get us to stay and linger and talk and pray and encourage and open up and invest in each other's lives, praise God, that's a win. We wanna develop that kind of relationship and fellowship. We want people to linger and hang out and invest into each other's lives. To have that connectedness. This is also why we have growth groups. That's our word for small groups. Uh, growth groups, why are they named growth groups? Because their impulse, their impetus is we want to grow, right? Spiritually. Numerically, these are great places to get to know others and to be known, to open up, to build friendships, to find accountability, to have opportunities to serve. You want to find ways to serve? Get involved in a growth group. You'll find there's more ways to serve you could ever think or dream or imagine. 
Because again, ministry is about what? People. People. If you have questions about groups, guess what? Today's a great day to be here because we have a booth. Out in the gym, I believe, first one on the left, uh, table-wise. I think Bill is there for that one. Uh, willing and able to answer all the questions you have about that. The third thing I would ask you to consider, first was your step of believing in Jesus Christ. Secondly is beginning to grow and build relationships. Third, I would ask you to consider membership. I don't know what goes through your mind when you hear church membership. Just over the years, people have shared some pretty interesting things that, that come to their mind when they hear membership. I think a lot of people think like Costco, right? Or, or, or those, those kind of things. But I, I hope when you hear membership, what you think is 1 Corinthians 12. What does Orangeville Baptist Church mean by membership? Why do we emphasize membership? 1 Corinthians 12. That's why. That's what we mean by it. We mean passion for the church, unity, diversity, interdependence. Membership is saying, what good is a finger without a hand, right? What good is a hand without an arm? What good is an arm without a body? That's what membership is saying. Membership is recognizing we can accomplish a whole lot more together than we can as a severed finger. <laughs> If you're interested in membership, or if you have questions about membership, man, you can't miss the booth. <laughs> Gina and Chad went all out. Like half the wall back there says something about membership, I think. Uh, <laughs> uh, so please, check out that table. Sign up for our Membership Matters class. And just because you sign up doesn't mean you have to join. But it's a way to find more information and take that next step of learning what the Bible says about membership. And the fourth thing I would say to you this morning is just get serving. That, that's what today is all about, get, get serving. We want everyone here involved in some way, shape, or form. The, there's no bench warming. There's no, no excuses. There's, there's no belittling self. There's no belittling others. There's no saying, well, what can this church do for me? No, we're going to flip that just like JFK did years ago, right? It's what can I do for the church? How can I function as God has designed me? Maybe you, you don't know what your gift is. You're struggling where to know to, to plug in. As, as Dave mentioned earlier, and, and I'll be up here at this table. Uh, there's lots of things up here at this table that I, 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 well, at least one that I hope everyone here will take. In fact, I'm asking everyone here takes. It's called the Ministry Skills and Inventory. Something like that. <laughs> that's, that's bad when my mind blinks, blinks on that. Here it is. Every member ministry skills and interest survey, we're asking that everyone here takes that and fills that out. In fact, even if you could linger for 10 minutes today and fill that out and hand that back to me. Because what that is, again, every member ministry skills and interest survey, it's, it's letting us know, here's my skills, here's my interests, here's ways I'd like to plug in. I'm not really sure where I plug in, but we'll look at that. We'll try and plug you in. We'll call you. We'll talk with you and try and encourage you. Like, hey, what do you think about this? Or maybe this is a way you could serve. So everyone here, we're asking that you take this, you fill this out. If you can't fill it out today, bring it back next week. We're here throughout the week. Bring it back whenever, and please fill that out. Or, or maybe you're saying, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Then we have a spiritual gift survey up here. And it, it's not inspired. It's not perfect. But I think it can be a tool that the Spirit can use to help you identify what your gift is. 
And if you take one of those, I'm going to be standing up here, and I'm going to be writing down all your names. <laughs> Seriously, I am. I'm going to be writing down your name, because if, if you take the one about spiritual gift survey, because what I want to do, or someone in here wants to do with you, is get there's a hospitality, and there's the food box route, and, and things like that. There's the baby pantry out in the gym. I just want to encourage you today to, to grab that booklet that Dave mentioned, if you don't already have it. It's the one that talks about the broken keys on the front of it. Take some time to linger, have fun, get excited, pray, think about how you can plug in, go to all the booths, go to Coffee and Connect that's running today. My group's running it, so I'm pretty sure it's there today. <laughs> uh, what, what they're offering, I don't know per se. But grab some coffee, grab some donuts, grab whatever, linger, talk, hang out. We need prayer warriors. We need people available to serve, just, just anyway. And I, I close with this thought. <clears throat> See, someone, someone set the alarm for me. That's perfect. I close, I close with this thought. God has given you a spiritual gift. If he intended you to use that gift, if he intended, or I should say it this way, if he intended no use for your gift, there would no longer be any purpose for your life. So my point is this. He's... If you're still here and you're living and you're breathing and you're trusting in Christ, then he's given you a gift and there's still a great use and purpose for your life. Otherwise, you'd be dead. And that's not a bad thing because then you're with Christ and his people forever and ever. Amen. So if you're here this morning, you're trusting in Christ, praise God. He has a purpose for you. He has a design for you here. Rejoice. Get using that gift. Amen. I invite Dave and the praise team to come up and close us uh, with the song. As they come up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your wisdom in designing the church the way you've designed it. And Lord, we know as a church we are far from perfect. We would never make any such a th thought or statement or have such pride as, as thinking that, that we are. We have much room to grow, and Lord, there is so much uh, potential uh, within, within here, Lord. You've given each of us at least one gift, if not more than one gift, to serve and edify the body and to glorify your name. And Lord, I pray that you would be pleased this morning through the preaching of your word and the ministry fair and the singing of the songs and, and all, all that we're doing here this morning, that you'd be pleased just to put that fire in our hearts, uh, to not waste that gift, to not waste our lives but to spend ourselves for the good of the church. Because you've promised to build your church. You shed your blood through your son for the church. You're passionate about the church. Help us to be passionate about the church. We know it's not easy. We know that uh, there'll be obstacles and things that get in the way, and it's gonna look different for all of us, but Lord, help us all here again just to be passionate about the church, to invest in the church. And may Orangeville Baptist Church just burn bright, burn hot for your praise and for your glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.